morning, I'm going to be talking about protecting your ministry from sexual orientation and gender identity issues. So let me go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, try to work through this really quickly. Um, Dear gracious Father, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to be with each other, to learn from each other, to hear from you, hear from your truth and your word, and also just to fellowship with each other. And I pray that that'll be awesome uh, throughout the course of today, that we will be able to um, start friendships and relationships and partnerships here that'll last because of uh, the, the bond that we have in the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you be with us right now as we look into this very serious cultural issue that we're facing right now and that we will respond well as believers being salt and light in this community and protecting ourselves and protecting um, the truth of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so um, where we're coming from in this is I'm going to go and I'll tell you um, at, at least 75% of what I'm going to say this morning is not original to me. Um, what I what I've done is I uh, there's an organization, um, the Evan, Ev- Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, and another one called Alliance Defending Freedom. They've they've partnered together and they've put together about a 40 page booklet um, on this issue. And so I commend that to you. Um, it is, it is so helpful. And what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to be walking through some of the stuff that's needed for churches, because as you guys know, uh, and Brody said it last night, you know, that for the most part, uh, our students are being taught about sex and sexuality from the, from this culture, from the media, from TV shows, from their friends, from the songs they're listening to. And in, and if we do not have a solid grounding in God's word, and in theology, then we're going to, we're going to fall. We're going to, especially in areas like this, we're going to be tossed about by every wind and every wave. And so it's so important for us that we are, like Brody was saying last night, that we're doing a a solid, um, we're doing a good job giving a solid foundation to those in our church, especially in regards to this issue. And the way that I'm just going to tell you this, the way that I'm approaching this, I'm approaching this, um, hoping that we all agree with each other, that um, God's word is the inspired and errant word of God. God and is profitable and gives, uh, gives answers to every area of our life, especially when we're talking about marriage and sexuality, um, that, that we will take the stance that God is the one who instituted marriage. So he's the one who defines marriage. We see both in at creation and Genesis one and two, that marriage is between one man and one woman. We see in, um, throughout the old Testament, um, specifically in Leviticus, two different passages in Leviticus in 18 and 20. And uh, then we have Jesus backing up God's intention for one man and one woman um, through in Matthew, specifically in chapter 19. And then we see in Romans 1 a, that, this, that what, we, what we're seeing with um, homosexuality and people acting on this in relationship is a part of a curse that, is, that has come on human beings because of our sin. You know, and, and this is this is something that's uh, that's really sobering, especially if you look in the context of chapter one of Romans. That um, you know, because people will say, "Oh man, because of our sin, because of these sins, we're going to be judged." And it actually looks like what Paul is saying is because of our sins, we are being judged, and that is why we have the rampant sin, specifically culminating in homosexuality, where God is saying that people are acting contrary to nature. All right. So that's where we're coming from. Um, as, as, uh, as we're talking about protecting our ministry from these types of issues. And then 
because right now you guys know this in in our in our world today there are people who claim to be christians who are promoting a christian homosexuality and a christian movement towards same-sex marriage and we would say that this is not scriptural this isn't from the bible we and it's it's very it's very discouraging in fact uh i think it was last month uh first baptist church of greenville south carolina made the news because um, they announced that they are now going to have no discrimination in anything. And that they are, which is impossible, you guys realize that. Um, but they are saying it's sp- specifically for their members and for their pastoral staff. That they have embraced um, all types of, any type of sexual, um, sexual identity issue. So same-sex marriages will be performed at First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina. And this is really sobering because uh, First Baptist Church of Green, or it's, yeah, the First Baptist Church of Greenville, South Carolina is about 180 years old. And uh, the, the founding pastor was one of the folks who started the Southern Baptist Convention, which is, has been, you know, a kind of a, a steady, consistent um, advance of the gospel. And, uh, but we should have seen the writing on the wall. And right on the wall, because in 1999, First Baptist Greenville withdrew from the Southern Baptist Convention on the topic of the inerrancy of the Bible. And so, if you are, if you drop out the authority of Scripture, then you're opening the door for anything. And so, this this is going to happen. And so, first and foremost, we need to protect ourselves from these issues by exalting Scripture. And, and exalting the Bible and holding the Bible as our ultimate authority. So that's, that's huge. And, and so you'll see Christians, people who call themselves Christians, who are advancing a same-sex agenda. But it's not scriptural. God is the one who's defined marriage. In fact, I love, uh, there's a pastor in Idaho who says it's not same-sex marriage. It's same-sex mirage. Um, and I, I appreciate that because this isn't marriage. Right? If God's the one who defines marriage as one man and one woman, then two men or two women or multiple, you know, that's not marriage. You can't call it by the same thing, all right? And so we need to, we need to hold on to that because, because in, the truth of the matter is, is if you take their reasoning for saying that this is okay because this is the way that I was created, this is, this is the way that I am, then you've, you've now opened the door for any perversion. Whatever, whatever perversion you want, you name it. In fact, we're already seeing legislation taking place in America right now for, to advance a polygamist agenda, which is going to, I, I really believe this is going to uh, um, gain ground and build up steam because percentage-wise, if you look at the, the growing numbers of Mormons and Muslims in the United States of America, there are, there are exponentially more Muslims and Mormons as there are um, homosexuals trying to be in a same-sex marriage. You guys understand that, right? So as far as percentage-wise, there are more people who would rather have legalized polygamy than same-sex marriage as far as practicing. That's a big deal, right? And so if you're saying that we're breaking down, that, that we're redefining marriage to be between... Um, in fact, this, this came out in the most recent Supreme Court case that if there's, no, if there's no magic between a man and a woman, then there's no magic in the number two. Right of just one of two people in a marriage, so that's huge. We need to we need to understand that. So we're not, and it's the same type of reasoning that would lead to polygamy or even scarier like pedophilia or pederasty or uh, bestiality. We've got no, we don't have any more parameters because they'll say, well, you're being discrim- you're discriminating, but everybody's discriminating, 
as far as the, in the terms that they're using that saying that something is sin or something is wrong, everybody has a standard. Right. Even even when this whole the same sex agenda was first being pushed, there were people who were saying, well, this is going to open the door for polygamy. And those and people who were pushing for the same sex agenda were saying, no, 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 it's not like that. Well, yeah, it is like that, because that's exactly what's happened now. That's what we're seeing the effects of. So um, you you open the door and it just keeps going down forever. So um, so. Keep that in mind. We all discriminate as far as we all, everyone has a standard of morality. And you have to have a fixed standard. That's why the beauty of Christianity is the fixed standard that we have in the authority of Scripture, right? Okay, so all that is uh, introduction. And then when I, I really just going to walk through. I've got two copies of this uh, Protecting Your Ministry. And then you can go to ERLC.com. This is, I mean, for the most, all of the practical things that I'm going to be throwing at you this morning come from ERLC.com. It is, and this is a branch of the Southern Baptist Convention. Convention. And like I said, they're in, um, they're in, they did this pamphlet in conjunction with Alliance Defending Freedom, which is another, it's, which is basically just a bunch of lawyers, um, a bunch of Christian lawyers who are trying, who, who take on and help these people who are being, um, who are being falsely accused of discrimination, you know? And so, um, what we, we do, we should be really thankful that we live in America. I mean, we do have first amendment rights and this is, this is wonderful. This is great. But we also need to not put our trust in America. Right? This, our, our hope is not in the United States of America. As far as a nation, our nation is very young. As far, if you look back in kingdoms of the world, um, the United States is very young. I mean, even if you look to Europe, right? The United States, we're just, we're, right now we're a blip on the map of history. And for most of us, we have been indoctrinated with the idea that America is the hope for the world and that we're going to be the kingdom that lasts forever. Well, we're not, we're not going to be, there's going to be, if things continue, if history continues, like it does, the greatness of America is going to fall is going to corrupt. I mean, you think of just, let's just look at history, right? And I remember as a kid, as a kid, if ever, if anybody ever said anything to me, anything to me about Germany, the first thing that came to my mind, Hitler, Nazism, right? And I, 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 as a kid, I always was like, oh man, Germany's evil. It's evil, right? But then I went to college and then I went to seminary and I took a class on church history. And then I was like, wait a second. So the reason why like I'm not Catholic right now has to do with a couple of German folks. Wait a second. So Germany hasn't always been evil, right? But then you, you trace Christianity from Eastern Europe into Western Europe, into Great Britain, into the Northeast of the United States. And you look across those, and those are, for the most part, secular now, right? You know, we're sending missionaries to the Northeast, which, I mean, if you ever remember people like Jonathan Edwards, right? We're sending missionaries to where he was. You know, you look at all of the Ivy League schools that were started as places to train pastors, like Princeton, right? Used to be the Presbyterian College, and this is huge, right? So this, we need to make sure that we're not putting our faith and our trust in the First Amendment in the United States of America. We're putting our trust in God. And so uh, nations will rise and fall, right? But we trust in the Lord. Okay, so, all right. So with that said, living in the context that we do, there are certain things that we need to do if we're going to be faithful to protect our ministries from legal issues, 
that are going to take place. Because this is going to happen, and it may not have happened where you are right now, but it's going to happen. Right? Even us, you know, this is a big deal for us as a Christian ministry. Anything that is anything that has any type of religious um, orientation towards it needs to be protected because it's not just that someone might come to your church and be seriously pursuing the Lord, but then also like living in a, uh, living in a homosexual relationship or have had a, a same sex marriage. And then they come to your church and have, and be seriously trying to work things out. That's not most likely that's not going to be the case. Because what we're seeing right now is people are so bent on this agenda that they're going to places intentionally trying to attack them. I mean, in this, uh, in this pamphlet, they've got two samples up here you can look through. And the last two people that look through them can actually take them with you. It's a free gift to you. Um, but there are, there's multiple examples of, of, of people. Like, for instance, like a homosexual couple who went to a, a wedding photographer and said, we'd like to have you take our picture. And there was an established relationship where the, where the lady said, you know, I just, I can't do that. It's against, it's against what I believe. And so she had a good relationship with this guy and he was like, well, I understand that's fine. And he went home and his partner was not okay with it. And so then his partner put in a phone call to, uh, to an organization that then brought lawsuits against them when it originally it wasn't a big deal. You see what I'm saying? But it's people that want to target it. And so there, it, there's a very good chance that Snowbird Outfitters, we're going to be targeted and that your church is going to be targeted. And, the, and I would say that the better job you're doing at being salt and light in your community, the bigger the target that you're going to be, right? So I'm going to go through this in 10 minutes. We're going to walk through this church t- checklist. All right, on this checklist, we have a statement of faith. This is stuff that you need to have written at your church somewhere, but some of this is good to have already like on a church website. So that because we're not ashamed of what we believe, so we need to put it out there so that someone doesn't come to our church thinking um, that they're coming somewhere else. Right. So statement of faith um, is something that we would I would say needs to be on a church website or documents that are public to people. But then also we need to have a religious employment criteria, a facility use policy, a formal membership policy and a marriage policy. And then I'm going to spend the next time just walking through this. So in the statement of faith, a statement of faith, your church has one. Right. It's most likely this is one of the things that your church will have already, and it should include stuff like uh, the Bible, hopefully the inspired and errant word of God, God's nature, man's nature, salvation, final judgment, stuff like that is already going to be covered in your statement of faith. Your statement of faith will already say stuff like that. But what you need to add is you need to add a couple things. One, you need to add a statement on marriage, gender, and sexuality. And then this, uh, the statement of marriage, gender, and sexuality. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so let me just read these and then I'll go into them. So these additions, uh, statement of marriage, gender, and sexuality. You also need a statement of final authority for matters of faith and conduct. And I'll get into that. And then, and then it's a good idea already right now because it's not being, Christian churches aren't really being attacked with this yet. But it's good to go ahead and be proactive and have a statement of the sanctity of human life. All right. So what should a statement of marriage, sexuality, and gender look like? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Um, on the next, oh, here we are right here. Yeah. One, like what we were talking about, human beings have been created in God's image, right? And that this is, this, this involves distinct genders, 
We see this in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that God created man and woman distinctly different, brought them together. This is the image of God perfected, that there are certain aspects of the image of God that we see more so in men than we do see in women, and in women than we do see in men. And the coming together, the coming together in one flesh is, is showing us a better picture of the image of God. The marriage is a picture of the image of God. We see that. We see that, that, that this is, that this is uh, when, God, when man was alone, God said, when a beautiful, total, wonderful creation, every time he looked at it, he'd said, man, this is good. This is good. This is good. And then he gets to a point, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because God had made a mistake? No, absolutely not. It was so that we would see, wait a second, there's still more to come. So God makes Eve, and then the two become one, which is great because this is in the image of God, and in the, the image of God is a relational God, right? Father, Son, Spirit, together in the Trinity, one, three in one. The best earthly picture we can get of that is two in one. Marriage is a picture of the image of God. We need to know that. God, we've been created in God's image um, regarding with distinct gender. We need to talk about the definition of marriage, what we just went into. This is, we need to define what marriage is and make it clear. Now, you might be thinking, this is overkill. I don't think so. Because what we need to do is we need to clearly articulate our beliefs in such a way that if a lawsuit is placed against us, we have in writing, this is what we believe as a church, um, a definition of sexual, of what sexual immorality is. And so you, and you can even say, in, regarding this is what marriage is, we believe that sexual activity outside of marriage or with a, the, or the opposite sex is a perversion of the creation of marriage and the intention of sexuality. That's what sexual immorality is. Then um, we then have a, a section on your statement of marriage, gender, and sexuality that says that church members are to be an example of this belief, right? And then finally, uh, put in something on redemption, restoration, and compassion. That anybody who is involved in this sin is a is free game for redemption, for restoration, and that the church members' attitude towards people in sin is one of compassion, regardless of the sin, right? Next, the statement of final authority. This is, this is, this is brilliant. This is something that they were talking about in this, uh, in this pamphlet that I had never thought about before, but it's, so cl- it's, it's, it's obvious that it's necessary, right? Um, what you do is at the bottom of your statement of faith, you need to have this, a statement similar to this. This is just a sample. Even though the Bible is the authority, we must make it clear that our pastoral leadership will be responsible for the interpretation of the Bible in areas where the statement of faith does not cover. Right? Because, as you guys know, like, up until the last 10 years, most churches have never even thought about saying anything about gender and sexuality and same-sex marriage. Well, is that, so if people look historically, and this is something, this is one of the arguments. So you look historically, well, if you look 15 years ago, these churches never had anything like this, so the churches are changing. Well, no, it's not that churches are changing, it's that there was no need to have it in writing. And so what you do, this acts as a catch-all for areas that are not found specifically talked about in your statement of faith, because it would be impossible for you to have a statement of faith that's comprehensive. I mean, people, people write theology books that are thousands of pages long. Or do you really want to have that on your website? No, it's impossible, right? So what you do is you talk about the broad, the broad strokes, and then afterwards you put something like this that says, even though the Bible's the final authority, our pastoral leadership is the final interpretative authority of that. So, it's, it's, so we're self-governing, right? Does that make sense? All right, next, something like this, sanctity of human life. Um, and then this, this is just a sample. By the way, all of these notes you can download off the app or off the website. Um, 
or if you want to print a copy, you can just ask me and I'll make one. Um, but yeah, something like this. We believe that all human life is sacred and created by God in his image. Human life is of estimable worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage or condition from conception through natural death. We, therefore, we are therefore called to defend, protect, and value all human life. Something like that is really important. Not just um, right now because uh, in the media... Um, abortion has become just a huge issue and rightfully so and should, but you also need to know that there's an undercurrent in our culture also pointing towards, um, doctor assisted suicides. In fact, it's legal in at least one state already. Right. So that's, uh, that's going to come. It's going to come this direction is this going to be slower next. You need to have religious employment criteria. I'm just going to fly through this. Um, the purpose for this is you need to have a signed statement of faith for every employee. This is important because some of you, you might not have this in place right now. And you think, okay, what we're going to do is for everybody that we're hired from now on, we need to have it signed. The problem with that is then you're targeting, right? You see this, you see how that's, you're not actually doing that, but that's the way it can appear. You need consistency. So some of you need to go back to your church and say, look, we need, we have a statement of faith and we need to add this um, section on gender, marriage, and sexuality, but then we need to have everybody who's employed sign it. It's a, it's as important because if this is, you need this signed and you need, everybody needs to sign. It. it needs to be consistent across the board so that nobody can feel slighted, right? You also need to, you need to have religious, a religious job description, a job description for every person that is employed or every person that volunteers for your church, right? So the signed statement of faith, this should be retained as part of the employee's permanent record. All right. And that this should, that you should include in an employee handbook that violation of the church's statement of faith is grounds for termination of employment. That you have to have that in writing somewhere, right? If you have a handbook, then this needs to be in it. If you don't have a handbook, then you need to get a handbook that has this in there. And you need to have a signed statement of faith of, of every employee. And then what's interesting is that as far as the job description, um, you, and I think this is really important. It's important to have job descriptions for every person that's hired. And that every job description should include the way in which that job advances the mission of the church, no matter what job is being considered. Why is that important? The reason why that's important is that even if you have people on a custodial or maintenance staff, they are representing your church. And in representing your church, they are acting as they're acting as representatives to the outside world of your church and of your church's beliefs and of the mission of your church. Right. So, and it's important if you have this in a job description, if you have this in a job description that in addition to their custodial or maintenance or automotive or secretarial, whatever, because you might be thinking, well, that's not a position in ministry. Well, it's okay. And this is the Supreme Court has upheld um, positions where specifically teachers of non-religious instruction in Christian education, they're actually considered ministers. Because they're representing the overall mission of the, of the Christian school. Well, it's the same thing for a church. And so if you have in your job description that a custodian or a maintenance person or automotive, that, this is, that part of their job is also to advance the mission of the ministry, then you have, in your, you have the ability to say, oh, well, the lifestyle that you're living doesn't accord with our statement of faith. And so we, we can't hire you because of that. You, you actually have the ability to say it aloud because it's going to happen if, if someone who is in a, a practicing homosexual relationship applies for a custodian job at your church and you, and you say, no, we're, we're not going to hire you. Well, it doesn't matter if they're qualified or not. They have a, there's a, there's a good chance with the right friends, they're going to come back and have a lawsuit against you. 
And it'd be wonderful to have in your, in the job description that they're applying for, that this is actually advancing the ministry of the church. All right. Next, uh, facility use policy. We, I, we, I should have more time, but I don't. So I'm just going to keep going really fast. All right. Facility use policy. This is really important because there are people who are going to want to use your church for same sex marriages. And there's also people that probably don't want to use your church for same sex marriage, but would like to ask you so that you could turn them down. So that they could cause a stink over it, right? So in that, you need to have a policy written out. Don't assume that something can just be believed. It needs to be written out. So you, um, in, a fa- in a facility use policy, identify the religious use of the building. Restrict the facility just to show... Um, re- re- restrict the facility to show acting... Oh, man. I don't even know. I don't even know what I wrote on here. That's not even a sentence. You don't want to download these notes. That's not even... A, who wrote that sentence? That's terrible. Anyway, so you should um, restrict the use of the building. That's right. To organizations or activities that accord with your mission. Right? That's... If, that there is a religious... That this building in itself is for religious use. And so the people who are going to rent your building for whatever it is, they have to do so in accordance with your statement of faith. Um, you need to have an approval and a scheduling policy just because you need to have somebody that is officially in charge of saying whether or not this is happening. You need to, and, and that person needs to be the final authority on everything. You have to be consistent. You can't sneak through and be like, oh yeah, well, so-and-so is going to be using the church for this. You can't, you can't make that an option. You need to have act consistently with everything. So it doesn't look like you're targeting anybody. You also need to have hours and fees. And what they're saying is have the fees below market value. If you're going to be, because that way it, it makes it clear that your building is being used as a ministry and it's not being used to make profit. And for some, there's some organizations that, um, there are like build, there've been wedding chapels in scenic locations where people have opened up their home and have like wedding chapels that they've stopped doing weddings now because they've had lawsuits come against them. So they've just cut it out completely. And so, um, so you need, we need to have, we need to have set uses of how the building is going to be, um, has going to be, uh, rented or whatever. Right. So the next man, I got two more, two more pages and we're done. Next, you need to have a formal membership policy. It's huge in this. You need to have procedures for becoming a member. Whatever it is that your church does. I know at our church, we have to take a, you have to take a membership class. And then you have to sign off on a church covenant. This is super important. Because they're going, if, you're, if your church is going to be acting in accordance with Scripture, and your church is, going to, is filled with sinners, then there are going to be times when your church is going to have to exercise church discipline. It's going to happen. Healthy churches have to exercise church discipline. Unless you're all perfect. Okay, cool. If, and then, then we all need to go to your church. Um, and if you're going to exercise church dis- discipline, you have to have the legal grounds by which to do it. You cannot, and this is, this is something that's huge. There are a lot of churches, especially I know for me personally, this was a struggle for me for years, where I, I was like, man, I, I, I came from a really strict, independent, legalistic background, and there was like super formal church membership, and I didn't want anything to do with it because I associated with a lot of really negative feelings. And I thought, well, we're just not going to have church membership. And then I realized church membership is a necessary accommodation to the culture that we live in, and that there are, there are hints at it in Scripture, although it's not laid out exactly like I'd want it laid out. But it is, I really believe it's a necessary accommodation to the culture, especially if you, your church is going to be 
exercising church discipline. Because in, in church discipline, the goal in church discipline is to restore a member of your church that's in sin. And so what, ne- what needs to happen is that person needs to have that, it needs to be addressed. And then there needs to be consequences for it. Well, you, un- you understand that even loving people who are addressing sin in a member of their church's life, that's not always going to be taken properly. Even if you do it in the best, loving, most compassionate way possible, there are going to be people who are going to get upset and say, that slander, I'm going to sue you. All right, now if you don't have a formal church membership policy, then your church has absolutely no leg to stand on in a lawsuit where someone is saying that you're slandering them for trying to exercise church discipline because they haven't actually committed to follow the beliefs of your church in a way that you can back it up in court. And so you need to have that. You need to have a formal church policy, a formal, a formal policy for becoming a member. You need to have procedures laid out in church discipline that when someone covenants with your church to be part of that fellowship that they agree to, you need to have a policy on how to disassociate from membership, both from the church's side and from the church member's side. Because in, to, to guard against the church, for if the church tries to... Um, to exercise church discipline on somebody and they say, no, well, you can't do that. I'm out. I'm not a church member anymore. And then they decide to press a lawsuit against you and they say, oh, I'm not a member. I, I've, I reject that. Well, if the, if the church has, has something in place that says, well, the way that you can disassociate membership is you can, you know, give us a letter, an actual letter that says that you're withdrawing your membership and then we have to, we have to approve it or not. You know, it's a big deal. And then, um, and then the last thing is you need to have a marriage policy that, that people who, when they, be, when they join your church, they need to understand that you have a policy on marriage of what the church believes and what the church will practice as far as marriage goes. And then I put this here. This is just a sample marriage policy because God has ordained marriage and defined it as a covenant relationship between a man, a woman, and himself. The church will only recognize marriages between a biological man and a biological woman. Further, the pastors of our church and the staff of our church shall only participate in weddings that solemnize, solemnize marriages between one man and one woman. Finally, the facilities and property of this church shall only host, host weddings between one man and one woman. These, and, and what I'm talking to you right now, this, this is a whole list of stuff. It would be good for you for this to be a beginning to get, your, to get the wheels rolling to think, okay, now how can we protect our church? Go back home. Uh, download this. Uh, you can look through this up here. Um, but you, we also need to realize that these are just safeguards. Right. This isn't if even if you put all these policies in place, there's a there's no guarantee that that a court is going to side with you in a a lawsuit. Right. So what we need to do is we need to be as faithful as possible and we need to protect ourselves as much as possible. We need to be future looking, think ahead and think, Okay, how can we guard our church, both in the integrity of what we're teaching, like we talked about last night and heresy, but then also from the outside world, because scripture is very clear that we as Christians living in this world, that we are in hostile territory, that Jesus said that if we're following him, the world is going to hate us just like it hated him. And so we need to protect ourselves as much as possible so that we can protect those who've been entrusted into our care. All right, so let me pray for us and we'll take like a five minute break and then we'll introduce the next session. Dear gracious Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you and pray that you'll help us to prepare properly for what's coming ahead and that that we will be faithful and that you'll be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen.